Friday, Chaf Aleph Iyar, and this is KMTT. And this is Ezra Beck, and today is Erev Shabbat, Erev Shabbat Parshat Bahar B'chukotai. The beginning of Parshat B'chukotai, the second half of the Kriyat Torah for this Shabbat, begins in B'chukotai Teilechu, and God so to speak, signs the covenant, if you follow my mitzvot, then you will achieve Eretz Yisrael, blessing. And if you don't, then comes what we call a tochacha, a list of, of disasters that will befall the Jewish people if they don't fulfill their side in the covenant. The language of the Torah is, Im if you will walk in my laws. It doesn't say im if you will observe my laws, but im if you walk in my laws, and and it's explained by many many commentators. It's almost a commonplace that the point is that the goal is not so much that you should be law abiding. There's a list of rules, and you have to be on this side of the rules and not over the over the line on the other side of the rules, contrary to the rules. But the point is to be to be walking, to be moving. The goal is to grow and increase and perhaps struggle and to climb through the Torah with the mitzvot, kotai, to grow and to transcend and not so much to be on a particular level that's okay, that's that's the right level. The Medrash says, Apparently, also picking up the point why Teilechu, the Medrash says, Shatiyu Amelim Batonga, that you will be uh, working, that you will labor in Torah. In other words, not in Bechukotai Tishmoru, you'll do the right thing, but Teilechu, you'll be, you'll be sweating. You'll be exerting yourself. Amelim Batorah, you will exert yourself in Torah. Then God promises you what He promises you. There's a vote. Half a joke, half a serious comment. I think it's a serious comment. It just, it just, uh, in a context that perhaps will, uh, bring out a smile the way it's said. Rav Chaim Briska commented that after all, the person before he's born, the Gemara in Nida says, learns Torah with an angel in the womb, learns Kara Tarakula. When he's born, he forgets it. So, what's lacking? I mean, that, that's, the, that's the most wonderful kind of life, the way we normally view the values of the Torah. He's sitting, near the candle to his head. Next to him is this Chavruta, an angel of God. And they're learning Torah. Physical conditions are wonderful. It's warm, you have sustenance. Uh, it's the womb. I mean, you know, what, what could be better? So, what's missing? So if Chaimetz, only one thing is missing. What's missing is Amal, the exertion. It's all too easy. Everything comes to him through the umbilical cord or from the Malach who's simply feeding him Torah. The embryo before he's born is not exerting, is not working in Torah. And therefore the Pasuk says, the famous Pasuk says, Adam le'amal yulad. A man is born to labor. It's the same word, Amal. Rav Chaim yes, that is why a man is born. 
He's born in order to labor because the labor is lacking in his pre-birth Olam Haba Gan Eden fetal existence. And that's really the main thing. God put us on this earth that we should be Ameilim Torah, growing in Torah. And that's why a person leaves the perfect world, Olam Shamot, the world of his soul, and he comes in, he comes into this world. As part of the program today, I would like to start a feature which I don't plan to do every week. Occasionally, when it's appropriate, I'd like to share with you something that we were doing this week in the yeshiva. We're learning with Sechet Sanhedrin. And uh, this week we came up to the sugya on Davav, Hamad Aleph, Davav Hamad Bet, sugya of Pshara, of compromise. Sechet Sanhedrin, the first parak, deals with law courts, with justice. Within those sugyot of justice, there was a sugya called compromise. Offhand, it would appear that's not appropriate. That's something else entirely. It's not justice. And that's exactly the topic that, among other things, the sugya talks about. I'd like to share with you some of what some of what we learned. The Gemara quotes a number of opinions about whether it's a good thing for judges to attempt to have the litigants before them compromise or not. Obviously, we all know how important justice is in the Torah framework. Tzedek is, 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 is one of the midot, one of the attributes of God. And the entire Masechet Sanhedrin is based on the Pasuk Tzedek, Tzedek, Tildof. You should pursue Tzedek, Tzedek. You should pursue justice, justice. You should pursue a lot justice. About Abraham Avinu, it was said that the reason why the reason why God relies on him, the reason basically it's the sign of what it means to be a Jew, was that his way is the way of Stakao Mishpat. Justice and general justice and justice. Sedek and Mishpat. I changed the word Stakat Tzedek. See, the word Tzedek means justice. The word Sedaka, as we normally use it, means charity. Strange thing. Uh, the people who say pshat in words claim that that's not really true. The word staka is just another form of the word tzedek. But in our parlance, in the Gemara's parlance, tzedaka is tzedaka. It's charity. And that will be one of the crucial points which will arise in our Gemara. The Gemara says the following. It is prohibited to compromise. That was his opinion. It's prohibited to compromise. And he who does compromise, meaning not the two sides. The, if, a, if a judge um, imposes or suggests or rules that there should be a compromise, he's a sinner. The son of Yosef isn't leaving any stone unturned. Those of you who disagree with me, and you praise he who, as a judge, uses compromise rather than strict justice. He who praises the botzeya, he is blaspheming. Quoting a pasuk, which there are a lot of interpretations of, and his interpretation is exactly what we just read. Botzeya berech ne'etz Hashem. He who blesses the botzeya, botzeya means one who does a compromise, is, is blaspheming against God. Ella. 
What's the alternative? Yikov hadin et hahar. Very sharp and cutting expression. The din, pure justice, drills its way through the mountain. In other words, justice does not turn neither left nor right. It's the shortest point between two, the shortest line between two points. And nothing will get in its way. Yikov hadin etahang. Sheneemar ki hamishpat lelohim hu. That justice is divine. When you do justice, when a judge does justices, he is acting in the place of God. This pasuk is quoted all the time to explain what an amazing, wonderful thing it is that we apply justice. That we have courts and, 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 and the society regulate itself. Because ki hamishpat lelokimu. V'chein Moshe haya omer yikov The Gemara claims that this expression, let justice drill its way through the mountain, was a slogan of Moshe Rabbeinu. As we know, Moshe Rabbeinu was a judge. He judged the people from morning to night, as described in Pashat Yitro. Aval, despite the fact that Rabbi Lazar ben Moshe Rabbeinu Gedili is, is obviously supporting this position, that's his point. Don't do kapmois, do din, just like Moshe Rabbeinu. But he has to admit the truth. Aval Aharon, Moshe's brother Aharon, Ohev Shalom, Verodev Shalom, but Aaron, his way in life was not let justice drill its way through the mountain, but he loved peace and pursued peace and brought peace, imposed peace between man and his friend. Obviously, the Gemara thinks that this is the opposite of Moshe Rabbeinu. That's why it says, but Aval Aharon, because peace and justice really may very well be contradictory. If you search peace, you'll try to eliminate conflict. And the way to eliminate conflict is to have them not argue. And that's the method of compromise. Whereas Moshe Rabbeinu said, he who is right is right, and he who is wrong is wrong, and the, the law and the outcome should reflect those facts. Because Rabbi Lazar ben is quoting both of these things, Moshe and Aaron, and, but we know his opinion. His opinion was like, Moshe, so what did you do with Aaron? So the commentators all say that Aaron didn't do this when he was a judge. When you came to judge, Moshe Rabbeinu said, Judge Yikoba didn't have. But Aaron used to try to keep them from coming to court. That's why it says, Rodev Shalom. He would pursue peace. He would run to the people before they came to court and get them to compromise beforehand. In other words, it turns out that compromise is not a bad thing. No one thinks compromise is terrible. What Rabbi Lazar ben was saying is that if someone comes to ask for your judgment, you have to tell them the truth. Compromise might be a good thing, but that's not your job. If two people come to you and say, you're the wise man, you judge us, then they're asking for the truth. And even though you think the truth might be hard to accept and might cause machloket, might be cause dispute and not lead to peace, you have to tell the truth because hamishpat him hu, justice is divine. On the other hand, Aaron had a different method, which was to keep them from coming to court in the first place, get them to meet each other's minds, to get together, somehow find a common ground, and then there's no dispute, no dispute. You don't have to have the cutting answer of of justice. Okay, but in any event, there are opinions which disagree with us. Benoshavioshaglili, who said it's forbidden to impose compromise within the court. 
And the Gemara quotes these other opinions. Rabbi Yoshua ben Kochamar mitzvah lifzala. It's a mitzvah to to compromise rather than justice. Shenemar emet umishpat shalom shiftu b'sha'arichem. Pasuk in Zechariah that says truth and the justice of peace you should judge in your gates. He asks, what is mishpat shalom? A justice of peace. How can you have a justice of peace? Wherever there's justice, there is no peace. And where there is peace, there's no justice. Uh, it means there is such a thing as a justice which is of peace, and that is bitzua. In other words, Rabbi Shubin Karachan, this is an interesting, very interesting idea. He's saying, compromise is one good. Two, compromise is not the opposite of justice. It's a different form of justice. You have mishpat, which is mishpat, Justice, that is justice. Then you have mishpat sheyeshbo shalom. Justice which has peace within it. There are two ways to do justice. One is by the rules. And the other way by what is really just in this case. What is really fair and really comes and understands the two people in front of you. What their problems and positions is although it might not be according to the letter of the law. So that's not anti-justice, it's a different kind of justice. And that's a very, very interesting point. There are two different attitudes here towards what compromise is. Rabbi Elazar ben Oshav Yossi says, I think, that compromise is false. It's falsehood. It's the opposite of justice. And Rabbi Yeshua ben Kocha says that compromise is a different form, perhaps a higher form. Mitzvah Diftzah, it's a higher form of justice than letter of the law justice. The Gemara quotes a different Pasuk to say the same thing, and the Pasuk actually sounds a little bit different. Concerning David HaMelech, it says, And the Gemara says, if it's Mishpat, how could it be Tzedakah? If it's Tzedakah, how could it be Mishpat? As mentioned beforehand, the Gemara sends the word Tzedakah to mean charity. To do something which you don't have to do. And mishpat is what you have to do. One is the law and one is voluntary. So therefore, how could he do both mishpat and staka? And he says, well, mishpat, sheshpat staka is compromise. The difference between this and the first pasuk we quoted, the one from the Navi Zachariah, was there it didn't say mishpat vishalom. It said mishpat shalom. So there it's quite clear that compromise is a form of mishpat. Here it says that David did mishpat and tzedakah. And the one wants to know, how can you do both? And it says, well, he did compromise. There might be a compromise between two principles as well. So the first one, the Pasuk from Zechariah, is stronger in its, in its, in its commendation of Pshava and its understanding of Pshava as being a form, a form of justice. There is a third opinion in the Gemara that says it's neither asur nor mitzvah, not forbidden and not, and not commanded, but it's vishut. It's permissible. Vishut liftzah. The judge has the permission. He doesn't have to, doesn't have to do justice. Okay, so we have here three opinions. I think we all understand the dialectic involved. There is definitely a value in justice. Interestingly enough, one of my students came to ask me today. I wasn't expecting this. He said, he doesn't understand how you can do pshara. Isn't it? Don't you have to do justice? And he was like, he was like, he was like agreeing with us. But I really, but instinctually, he, he, he just said, after all, it's not right that someone should not pay the money that he owes. If he really owes it, then he should pay it. 
So I think, I mean, even if you disagree with that, you should understand the point. There is something about justice that, that demands that it be done. You can't just ignore everything. You can't just say, let's just all forget, forgive. It doesn't make a difference whether you broke my window or not. There's, there's certain things which are right, and it's not right that a person should break someone's window and not pay for it. Even if there are some extenuating circumstances which the halacha does not recognize. On the other hand, shalom is a value, peace is a value, and tzedakah is a value. It's a value to, to not be strict and stand on the lines of what belongs to you and what is magia lacha, what, what, what you think you should get and what really you're deserving to get and to insist on to the very last penny, yikov hadin etahar. Maybe if there's a big enough mountain, the din should stand aside and let us go around the mountain. So we have different opinions here. And uh, truth is, the halachic answer is the last opinion. It's permissible. That's sort of a cop-out. You, know, you don't have to do either. But you can explore the possibilities of doing compromise rather than doing din. But interestingly enough, there is a, another statement in the Gemara which applies in any event. The Gemara says as follows. Rabbi Shimon ben Menasiah Omer Shnaim Shabaud Fanechadadin. Two people came to you, you're a judge. Two people came to you with a dispute so that you should resolve the dispute. Before you've heard their arguments, or even if you've heard their arguments, but you do not know, you do not know in which direction the law tends. In other words, you don't know the answer to the case. You are permitted to say to them, go out and reach a compromise. If you've heard their arguments and you know in which direction the law tends, in other words, you know the answer, you are not permitted to say to them, go outside and reach a compromise. Now, what is he, what is he saying? He's not against compromise. But he's saying, you can only do a compromise when you don't know what the law is. In other words, once they've come to you and they asked you to tell them the law, if you know the answer, then compromise might be good socially because it leads to peace, and happiness, etc., etc., etc. But apparently he thinks it's really false. It's false if you know the answer. So if you know the din and you will not say it, you will hide, you will, you will depress your knowledge of the law, of the truth, and say to them, go reach a compromise on your own, that's improper. He says you may reach, you may tell them to reach a compromise if you send them out before you know the answer. In other words, you're not, you're not hiding, you're not distorting the truth. Not telling the truth, according to Rav Shemunasya, is like distorting the truth. And in any event, it's forbidden to distort the truth, even though it might be a good thing. So here we have a different, a different kind of opinion. Here he's saying, I don't know what's good for society, but a person has to be true to the truth if he knows it. There's another version of this statement, which is the one that's actually quoted in Halacha, that halachically it's somewhat different, even though it sounds similar. Tanura Banan, Keshem Shadin Mishlosha Kach Bitsua Bishlosha. It begins by saying that three people, the tribunal for compromise is also three people. 
And then, very short statement, If you've reached a conclusion, the judges have already ruled they are not permitted to do compromise. There are two opinions in Mishonim what this means, Rashi says, they've said, they ruled publicly, they ruled to the disputants, you are chayb and you are patur. That's that we really understand. Once you've, once a judge, a tribunal of three people is, is a court, once the court has has said who's chayav, who is, has to pay, and who is receiving the money, you can't then go back and say to them, you, they can do anything they want, but you can't say to them, and we want you to compromise. Because you've told them the truth. And that's, that obligates them by having they heard you. Tulsus has a weaker version of this. He says, no, that's it. That, he says, that's obvious. That no one could possibly disagree with the fact that once having ruled, you can't take it back. He says, Nigmar Adin means that they know in their hearts the answer. They've already discussed it with themselves. They haven't said it publicly yet. So this version is different than Shur Manasya. You know what the answer is. The three of you have discussed it and you've agreed what the answer should be. And then you go one more time, you say to them, listen, we know the answer, but we're not going to tell it to you. You should compromise first. And only if they don't want to compromise, then you hit them over the heads with the, with the din. So here you have, in this version, different than Shur Manasya, it's okay for me to say, to know the truth, but nonetheless to say to compromise. The only point which you cannot compromise is once having published, once having publicized, once having declared the truth, then the truth becomes the practical truth, the psak, halacha, of the dayan, the judgment rendered by the court becomes fact. And then everybody agrees that a compromise in this matter will be a distortion of the truth and is no longer and is no longer permissible. So you have different opinions here. I, I found this study really fascinating, not because I'm a professional judge, and perhaps none of us are judges, but the idea here of the conflicting obligations and loyalties that someone who is a professional judge, he's he's dedicated to justice. And he has a set of conflicting loyalties to justice and to peace and charity. Shalom Bitstaka. It's clear to the Gemara that one can have a conflict between goods and goods, between the right and the right. And the question is, how does one find one way between that? We have the two ways of Moshe and Aharon as, as general principles. Even Allah Chalamaisa, different opinions as when you're actually sitting in judgment. So when do you say what you know? And when do you try to hide it in order to allow the sides, the different sides, to reach the truth between them. That, on one foot, on the edge of a toothpick, is the sugya in Sanhedrin, daf vav amud alif, daf vav amud bet. In Pashat Bahar, there's a section dealing with what happens when a person is so poor, he's lost his land, he's lost his money, that he sells himself into slavery. Slavery is a possibility according to the Torah. And there are laws dealing with how one treats him. Uh, laws that basically say you, you should not treat him as a slave. You cannot make him work in the manner of a slave. As well as the fact that one is supposed to, his relatives, have to redeem him by putting up the money and getting him back on his feet. And the, that section of the Torah ends with a very famous statement an anti-slavery statement. It says, Kili b'nei Yisrael avadim, avadai hem, 
The Jews are in fact slaves, but they're slaves to God. I took them out of Egypt for that purpose. And that's why they should not be slaves to humans, to other people. Is the way Chazal put it. They are my slaves and not the slaves of slaves. The Beit HaLevi, of Yosef Tov HaLevi Salavechik, the father of Avchayim Salavechik, he made the following comment. He said, we know in Pashat uh, Yitro, Pashat Mishpatim actually, we know that the Jews said, Na'asevanishma. When God opened the Torah, they accepted it without reading it. And that's considered to be a great thing. So, the Beit Levi asked, but I don't understand. If someone accepts, someone commits himself, or he buys or sells, or makes a monetary commitment to do a undefined amount of work, or to buy an undefined quantity of things. What's called the Hebrew Chatul Basak. A grab bag. Sometimes I see, sometimes the internet, they, they're auctioning off a box of, we're not going to tell you what. Halakhically, one cannot do that. If I sell you this bag of things without telling you what's in them, so even though you say yes, you haven't bought it. If you commit yourself to to spend an undisclosed amount of money, or to do an undisclosed or unknown amount of work for me, that obligation is not is not legitimate. So the Beit Levi asks, how could how did the Jews obligate themselves to do whatever God would tell them to do in the future, without knowing what He had in mind? How did they say Naseven Ishma? And if they said Naseven Ishma, they could say it, but but it doesn't obligate them. It's worthless, halachically. And I think we should understand this. That is not really a technical halachic point. The halachic point is based on a, a, the nature of obligation. In order to obligate yourself in something, you need what's called halachically gimirut dat. Not merely that you should have the intention, but you need full intention. And in the halacha, there are different degrees of intention, of commitment. And what Allah is saying is that someone who willingly says, I obligate myself to do X amount of work or to buy X amount of wheat without knowing how much, he is not fully, it's simply not true, he is not fully committed to that and without a full commitment it does not bind him. There's a, there's a point of human psychology here that says that a human being is not capable of committing himself without knowing to what he's being, he's committing himself. You have to know the details for the commitment to be true. And therefore, halachically, a sale of this kind is not valid. And the Beit Levi says, accepting of the Torah in this manner should not be valid. And the Beit Levi's answer is, based on the Pasuk that I just I previously mentioned. The, in Yitro, when God gave the Torah, God promised them, V'yitem li segula mikol ha'amim. And you, the Jewish people, will be to me a skula, a special, a special thing. That's where the word chosen people comes from. You will be from all the nations of the world. You will be my special, special to me. The Mechilta says, what does that mean? You will be acquired to me. You will be owned by me. According to the Mechilta, the chosen people means the owned people. 
God's people, not because God likes them, but God owns them. Segula, you're special because you're owned by me. So the Beit Levi explains my problem that I raised. How can you make a commitment to an undisclosed and unknown and undetermined amount of things applies only where you're committing to them one by one. However, a person can sell himself to be a slave. That's not an undetermined thing. He's selling his body. He knows exactly how much he's selling. It's, it's six feet tall. 155 pounds. That's what he's selling. Being a slave means doing whatever your master tells you. So, again, the problem wasn't moral. It's not that we're opposed to people being committed to an undetermined amount of things. The problem was psychological. A person has to know what he's getting into when he gets into something. Slavery, as much as it's morally repugnant to us, slavery avoids that problem. Because by treating yourself as an object, you now have a defined object to which you can concentrate your intentions, to which you can apply your mind. And therefore, the Beit HaLevi says, that's exactly the nature of Naseh Nishma. They didn't commit themselves to doing whatever mitzvah God would tell them. They sold themselves to God. They accepted upon themselves the ownership of God. As Mechuta says, that you will be acquired by me and therefore engaged in Torah. And as God said, Why does God have to say that? Isn't it the basic? Isn't it the great? Why does God insist on bringing us as being His slaves? Why can't you say that we're His willing citizens? That we've accepted to do what He says. We serve Him. Why does He have to make us into slaves? We don't like being slaves. But He says, no, being a slave means being owned by God. And that's the segula. That's the chosenness. And that's also the a basis for your ability to be committed indefinitely and undeterminedly in the future. You've accepted upon yourself the ownership of God and therefore whatever will come in the future is not a new thing to which you have not fully committed yourself but it's part of the state of being belonging belonging to God. We're continuing. We got up to the Finishing Shmonesve, taking three steps back at the end of Shmonesve. After one finishes Shmonesve, we have Chazarat Hashatz. Shmonesve is repeated by the Chazan. The original reason for that is in order that those who do not know how to daven will fulfill the mitzvah of davening through the Shliach Tzibur, through the agency. Shliach is an agent of the community. But also, in Shliach, in Chazat Hashaz, we have Kedusha. You're able to say Kedusha, a very important thing, etc. There is an institution which is properly known by its Yiddish name as a Hecha Kedusha, an institution whereby sometimes there's not enough time. And therefore, instead of davening once and then repeating Shemon right away, before the people have even said Shemon the Chazan begins Shemon says it out loud, Till Kedusha, we say Kedusha, and then everybody davens till the end. In other words, you only say Shemun Esrei once. Instead of having individual say Shemun Esrei, then repeated by the Chazan, the Chazan starts, says out loud, the first three Bechot, including Kedusha, and then from a Tachonai to the end, everybody says it quietly, including the Chazan. 
This possibility is quoted in Shulchan Aruch, specifically Bishat Atchak. You're only allowed to do this. There's a Takanami de Rabbanan. The Chazal said that a tzibur that davens, a community that davens, the Chazan repeats Shmon Esrei. And therefore, you're not allowed to simply ignore that. But if it's Shat Atchak, for instance, time is running out, it's, it's Mincha time, and the sun is setting, you're not allowed to daven after the sun sets. So then, rather than daven and run out of time for Chazarat Hashatz, you can do this trick, this Hecha Kedusha trick. And there are other examples given in the postkin for what would be Shat Atchak, a time of exigency, a, a, a special circumstances which would allow us to use this thing. There were times, uh, different places, where, where it became the norm. It was the norm against what the poskim, uh, or paskim, I think without exception. Uh, there are in fact poskim who say you shouldn't do it at all. They, they were opposed to the idea of it. But those who say you may do it think that it's only b'shat atchak, only under special circumstances. Uh, but there were times in some of the yeshivot where it became the norm to do this. I think more or less they've stopped. Uh, there's been a reaction and a campaign to return to the way the Pesach is mentioned. What, what, what does it mean? How do you do this? And here I think there's a, there's a really important point in distinction halachically how it's supposed to be done. There are two possibilities here. The way the Shulchan Aruch quotes it is that everybody begins to daven. The Chazan is davening out loud. The Tzibur is davening quietly with him. And then they finish all quietly. That's not the common minag. I've been to many places and many times where we've davened in this manner and almost everybody simply waits. The chazan, the one who's supposed to be, he's called the chazan, the one who's standing in front. He davens out loud. First we answer Kedusha and then everybody starts from the beginning of Shemun Esrei because they haven't davened yet. The chazan continues and they stop in the beginning. That's not what it says in the Shulchan Aruch. Now, there are two logical models for what we're doing here. The one that the Shulchan Aruch is, is, is saying is that you're allowed to say Kedusha in the Tefillah Shel Kulam, Tefillah Tzibur. Normally, we say Kedusha in Chazavat Hashatz. Why? Because Kedusha has to be said B'Tzibur, has to be said in a minion. If everybody is davening quietly, Apparently, you can also say Kedusha. So what we're basically doing in Hecha Kedusha is we're cutting out Chazavat HaShatz. There is no Chazavat HaShatz. There's only Tefillah Belachash. There's only the first Tefillah of everybody individually. But if we all daven together and we're in the same place, we all get to the third Bracha, we can all say Kedusha together as well. So for this, we all have to be davening. If we're not all davening, it's just this one person who you call Mechazan, but he's not, it's not Tefillah Tzibur. You're just calling him Mechazan. He's, he's davening for himself. How can you say Kedusha in the middle of his tefillah? Apparently, the other possibility, there are, there are poskim who, who, who support the possibility which is, which is the minute. There are some poskim who support it. Apparently there they think that if a person davens out loud, that, 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 that's called tefillah tzibur. So just like if it would be the second tefillah, it would be tefillah tzibur, the repetition. So you can, you can cut out the repetition. But you're doing the, the repetition first, so to speak. In other words, what we normally call the Chazan's second fila is now the Chazan's first fila. And therefore you say Kedusha in the Chazan's first fila, and then you daven by yourself. Basically you daven out of order. First the Chazan davens, and then we all daven. As opposed to first we're davening, and then the Chazan davens. Nonetheless, I repeat the way that it's quoted in Shulchan Aruch and most poskim, except the first model. The Chazan here is not saying Tefillah Chazan. 
there is no Tfilat HaChazan. What we're cutting out here is the Tfilat HaChazan. There's only individual Tfilat. And the proper way to do it is for everyone to daven quietly together and to say Kedusha together. Uh, one person saying the Kadesh, everybody answering Kadosh, when we get to the Kadosh. The Ramah adds to the Psak of the Mechaber that he agrees that they're all davening together with the Chazav. He says one person should be saying Amen. It bothers the Ramah that a person is davening out loud and they're not answering, no one is answering Amen to his Bacha. Most poskim, including Ashkenazi poskim who follow the Ramah, return here to the version that's in the Mechaber. No one needs to answer Amen because there is no real Chazan here. It's everybody davening for himself. The only reason why someone davens out loud is to keep us in place. But he's really davening quietly to himself, just out loud, so that others can know where he's up to. And when we say Ketusha, that we say together, and that's why we finish it quietly, uh, because even from the beginning, it was individual tefillah, everyone for himself, one person out loud, and the rest saying it quietly. And that's our program for today. You've been listening to KMTT, the Torah Podcast. We finish another week. We'll be back next week on Monday to Shua Varav Tavori in the weekly mitzvah. And until then, this is Ezra Bik wishing you Shabbat Shalom, Bibukat HaTorah Mitzion Umiyetzion. KMTT is a project of Yeshivat HaRetzion here in Gush Etzion. And we'll be back next week. And until then, all the best. Shabbat Shalom, learn Torah, Kimitzion Tetzay Torah, Udvar Hashem Yerushalayim.